Hello and welcome into the first ever playoff edition of NFL football here on Line em Up. Today we'll be lining up our picks and predictions for the NFL wildcard weekend as well as lining up the uh, future for some of the teams that didn't make the playoffs and lining everything up with me as always is eric hey welcome back everyone hope you're as excited as i am for three days worth of playoff football uh and i guess also kind of fun and recapping some of those week 18 games that kind of put a lot of teams into the playoffs that was fun to watch as well yeah i think before we get to the craziness that will be this first uh wild card weekend uh, the first round of the playoffs. We need to talk about Week 18, Eric, because, oh my goodness, there were some crazy results. Started off pretty tame in those Saturday games. Chiefs 28, Broncos 24. You know, maybe a little bit of a closer margin than we expected, but the Chiefs seemed pretty in control of that game for the whole game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes did, and did have a really good game. 270 yards through the air, 54 yards on the ground, two passing touchdowns. Then in a game where I think we hinted at this, Eric, where we didn't know what the motivation of the teams were. Clearly for the Eagles, there was zero motivation as they played largely backups and they got blown out. Cowboys 51, Eagles 26. Didn't really affect playoff positioning too much for either of those teams. Uh, another game where there just wasn't a whole lot to play for. And so we saw a pretty ugly football game. Browns 21, Bengals 16. Dearness Johnson did come off the bench again for the Browns uh, and have a really good game, 123 yards and a touchdown. He, and he's then gonna another, be, he's going to be exciting to talk about next year. I think if uh, if and when he joins another team. Yeah, well, I think it'll be interesting too because I I think Kareem Hunt may be out of contract in Cleveland, so that'll be a interesting thing to talk about uh, when we get to the off season, like you said. Um, then another game where. Neither team had a whole lot to play for, uh, and you saw that in the sense of that Aaron Rodgers only played about half this game. Lions 37, Packers 30. Jordan Love got an audition for basically the probably the Packers starting quarterback job. Did not look that good. Did throw two interceptions late in that game, which pretty much sealed the win for the Lions. But Amon Ross St. Brown, worth mentioning, did have another 100-plus yard game with a touchdown. He was blazing hot down the stretch and so that is a name to keep an eye on especially for fantasy going into next year staying in the nfc north we had vikings 31 bears 17 not a whole lot to talk about here uh vikings you know they close out the 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 season with a win but both of these teams were pretty disappointing overall this year and both ended up firing their head coaches uh after week 18 in another game that featured plenty of disappointing teams, Washington football team 22, Giants 7, Antonio Gibson, pretty big game here, but I think uh, with 146 yards rushing and a touchdown, but I think the thing that everyone will take out of this game is Joe Judge, now the former head coach of the New York Giants, deciding to run a quarterback sneak on third and nine. And some people suggest that this is what got him fired. Others suggest it was already a decided uh, fate, basically. Now, easily, I think, the game of the weekend, Eric, because it set in a lot of set a lot of things in motion that we didn't really even think was possible. I begged the Jaguars in last week's episode to show up, and oh my goodness, did they show up. Or maybe, oh my goodness, Carson Wentz, 
decided to be Carson Wentz at the most inopportune time. Jaguars 26, Colts 11. And I'll pause right here in my recap because we have to just discuss this game. We have to discuss how the Colts went from a 90-plus percentage chance of being in the playoffs to now sitting at home watching Wild Card Weekend from their couches. Well, from the Jaguars' perspective, I will say I was the only one that picked the Jaguars to actually win this game. Or not actually win this game, but actually nicely cover. I guess it was kind of cover, surprising yeah. that they, they pulled out this win. But it does extend their streak of uh, now seven straight games of beating the Colts at home uh, since back in, what, 2016 at this point, 2015. Uh, they've, they've managed to somehow upset the Colts uh for for that long so it's 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 great to see that they're continuing that streak especially when the colts needed it and uh seemed to look like a playoff team for the past couple of weeks and i don't know about you but i think this really changes to some extent the narrative around this jacksonville job because at least for one week they showed that against a playoff caliber team albeit not like the upper echelon of playoff caliber teams, but still a playoff caliber team that they could compete and that they could, in a lot of ways, dominate uh, the Colts, especially at the line of scrimmage. They did have six sacks. And so it, it was a huge win for Jacksonville. And it really puts a damper on the Colts season because they lost their first round pick uh, because of the Carson Wentz trade. And now their GM is out in the media publicly questioning whether or not they're going to move forward with Carson Wentz as their starting quarterback. Yeah, he definitely looked a little shaky that game. Uh, Jonathan Taylor didn't, uh, he did run for five yards per carry, um, but he didn't necessarily have that much opportunity to, uh, I mean, take control of this game either. And I, I guess it could be a lot on Carson Wentz's shoulders but also I also question a lot of the passing weapons that he has particularly behind Michael Pittman um, but even Michael Pittman's a sophomore receiver right um, T.Y. Hilton's been injured for a while and I don't I, I recognize a lot of the wide receivers that from uh, fantasy in particular for the Indianapolis Colts but I don't think necessarily any of them are good enough to I mean help carry this passing game no i think that's a very good point uh and to, to your credit the only player who got anywhere near a thousand yards was michael Pittman, just squeaking over that thousand yard mark the next highest player zach pascal had 384 yards so this is definitely a situation and it's probably something we'll talk about more in future episodes when we look forward towards next season and, and the off season and everything like that. But there's definitely a situation where if you're keeping Carson Wentz around, you got to supply him with more weapons. You got to supply him with a more dynamic receiving core because it can't really just be this Colts team is not good enough. Carson Wentz is not good enough to just have it be Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman as the only real weapons surrounding Carson Wentz and expect them to, not be in situations like they were against the Jaguars uh, every now and then. Now, that Jaguars win, that Colts loss, opened up a sort of realm of possibilities that we didn't really even consider last week. And One more thing I'll the, mention, John, before we move on. Yeah. For Since we already talked about the Lions and the Jaguars, both of them winning, uh, Jaguars still clinched the number one overall pick, correct? Even with 
there. Yeah, that was league? so that was that was the big thing was the Jaguars game I think finished a little bit before that Lions and Packers game. And so I was watching on Red Zone and I know that the the commentators for the Lions and Packers game cuz that was still sort of in the balance until that second Jordan Love interception, they were like well, do the Lions know that they kind of want to lose this game now because the Jaguars won and uh, losing this game actually benefits them? But I don't think Dan Campbell, uh, the head coach of the Lions, would ever adopt that mentality. I, I don't. I think to him, setting up a winning culture and you know, sort of giving his players a taste of winning is way more important than the difference between the number one and the number two pick, especially when in this draft, upcoming draft class, there is not a major prize at quarterback to be taken at number one. So I think for Dan Campbell and company, um, they much would have rather had the win than the number one pick. That may not always be in the, this, the case in this situation, but I think it definitely was this time. So moving, like I said, to, to the sort of realm of possibilities that that Colts loss opened up, you had this game in between the Steelers and the Ravens that all of a sudden was more or less a play-in game. And the Steelers do come out ahead. The Steelers do win that game 16-13 to in overtime. Neither of the offenses look great, but I got to say this about Ben Roethlisberger. He made enough plays, especially in overtime, to get this win. And his stat line overall in the game did not look great, but he he made enough plays. And then shout-out to easily the Steelers MVP and arguably someone who maybe should be in the running for, you know, overall MVP of the league, TJ Watt, who did tie Michael Strahan's uh, single season sack record with 22 and a half sacks. There was a petition to get him credited with another either half sack or full sack that was ultimately denied. So he does finish the season tied. Um, But the defense overall for the Steelers, played really big, certainly, especially in the second half of that game, came up with a couple of clutch interceptions, couple of, you know, clutch plays against the Tyler Huntley led Ravens offense. And the Steelers after that game were, you know, greater than 99% chance to make it to the playoffs. Although we'll talk about in just a bit, the, uh, the, the fact that they still almost missed the playoffs because of the very last game of the regular season. But to run through some of these other results, uh, Saints beat the Falcons 30-20 to to keep their playoff hopes alive at the time. Uh, Alvin Kamara had 146 yards in sort of willing that Saints team to a victory. The Titans uh, end up clinching the number one seed in a game against the Texans. They win 28-25. to uh, that game was a really back and forth affair and it was funny. I think the, the biggest takeaway I had from that game is that there were Tennessee or there were, um, excuse me, Kansas city fans in Houston cheering on the Texans because Kansas city had won previously on Saturday. They needed the Titans to lose to get that number one seed, but Ryan Tannehill, he throws for four touchdowns. He keeps Tennessee locked into that number one seed in the AFC. Uh, then in the sort of afternoon slate of games, you had the Bills 27 to 10 over the Jets. They just squeak by on the cover as it was a 16 point line. They win by 17. Josh Allen has a big game with 300 yards combined between the air and between running the ball. He has counts for two touchdowns and the Bills clinch the AFC East. 
In the NFC West, the 49ers in overtime squeak out a victory over the Rams, 27-24. Debo Samuel, who was easily, in my mind, the 49ers MVP and was voted a first-team All-Pro player this year. He was all over the place in this one. 95 receiving yards, 45 rushing yards, a rushing touchdown, and a passing touchdown on a trick play as the 49ers uh, clinched their playoff ticket in that win. Then the Patriots, uh, they make the playoffs, but they lose to the Dolphins in Week 17. And what seems to be a, a tradition for the Patriots of losing in Miami to the Dolphins. Uh, Duke Johnson, big game for the Dolphins there with over 100 yards and a touchdown. But overall, just not a good showing for the Patriots heading into the playoffs. And they will have a tough matchup with their division rivals, the Bills. And we'll definitely get to that later. Seahawks uh, upset the Cardinals 38-30. to ending any chance that the Cardinals had of winning the NFC West. Rashad Penny, and I, I want to give a lot of credit to Rashad Penny because I talked about this last week when we were previewing this game. I said the Cardinals need to slow down Rashad Penny to have a good chance at winning this game. They did nothing of the sort. He went for 190 yards. He had a touchdown. He was averaging over eight yards a carry. He ran rush out over them, and the Seahawks pick up a pretty big upset and ruined the chances the Cardinals had of winning the uh, NFC West. The Buccaneers pick up a easy win over the Panthers, 41-17. to Tom Brady uh, caps off his season with 300-plus yards and three touchdowns as he is squarely in the MVP conversation. And then the final game of the year, probably the most controversial game uh, for many reasons of this Week 18 slate. Raiders 35, Chargers 32 in overtime to set the scene. If this game had been a tie, both teams make the playoffs. And it seemed like once they got to overtime, there was every possibility that it was going to be a tie. But Brandon Staley decided to snatch, not victory because it would have been a tie, but snatch a playoff uh, position from himself, basically, and call a very controversial timeout that ended up allowing the Raiders to get in field goal position with enough time and kick the winning field goal. So I know you have a lot to say about that Raiders-Chargers game, Eric, so I'm going to let you sort of take the mic, so to speak, here on that one. Well, I mean, yeah, for one, it's honestly amazing that that game even went to overtime. Uh, The number of fourth downs that Justin Herbert needed to convert to even tie up that game, uh, I believe they needed to also convert a a two-point conversion. Um, So, I, I mean, from my perspective, from what the score was at, it was very unlikely that the game was headed to overtime because the the scores just didn't line up and there was uh, a very limited amount of time that uh, Justin Herbert had to bring the the score back. Um, I think uh, their defense stepped up in a way in that uh, at the end of the game, uh, or sorry, at the end of the fourth quarter, they forced a three and out for the Raiders that allowed the uh, Chargers to run 19 plays for 83 yards in two minutes to tie up the game and take the overtime. So that was absolutely amazing that uh, that game took it overtime. And then, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, it's, the Chargers are such a weird team. And I think this game proved every aspect of the way they're such a weird team because, 
you feel like they could have been so much more than this, that they should have won this game a little bit, you know, they should have been a little bit more in control in this game. But to your point, I, I went to sleep because I was like, I saw the score was 29-15 Raiders somewhere, you know, in the third quarter. And I'm like, oh, this game's decided. Like the Raiders have this. And, and then imagine my surprise where, because I needed a win in this. I need someone to win in this game. As a Steelers fan, I needed someone to win. And I was like, okay, this game is over. The Steelers are fine. And then to to wake up and see, oh no, there was a very real possibility that this was ended as a tie and the Steelers, despite their win, despite the Jaguars' loss, or uh, the Colts' loss to the Jaguars, they still ended up on the outside looking in for the playoffs. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the Chargers, I mean, we were kind of high on the Chargers. At the beginning of the season, I kind of fell off of them because I saw how their defense was one of their weak points. And it, it dish, does kind of show in allowing 35 points to the Raiders in a win-and-get-in game. Uh, in, in overtime, it's, uh, I think, pretty fruitful that the Raiders won the coin toss. They were able to come down and kick a field goal. Uh, I, I think it's some kudos to the Chargers defense and at least not giving up. Uh, the third and three, uh, I think there's a very realistic chance they could have, the Raiders could have kept pushing and kind of ended the game there. Um, but Daniel Carlson ended up hitting a 40-yard field goal, gave the Chargers an opportunity to to score. Um, but then the Raiders defense stepped up as well and only allowed the field goal. And then to the scenario that you mentioned for the final field goal for the Raiders, uh, I, I was expecting kind of a tie because even the um, commentators, the announcers were... Uh, kind of expecting the time to just run out. Um, but then uh, Staley called a timeout, I believe, uh, I believe like maybe 30 seconds, I, I forget. Somewhere, um, I believe, past the two-minute warning. And uh, he, he definitely didn't need to because the Raiders weren't in field goal range. Uh, but when he called timeout, because I'm pretty sure you expected it's like, oh, I want to get the ball back to try and win this game. I think that woke up the Raiders like, well, if you're trying to win this game, I'm going to try and beat you now. Because uh, they, I think the Raiders are perfectly confined, uh, comfortable with taking a tie and just rolling into the playoffs. But then they say, oh, we're going to play it that way. They went and Josh Jacobs ran for 10 yards uh, after that timeout. And they got uh, in the field goal range, took the time down to two minutes, took a timeout, and kicked a 47-yard field goal to win the game. So, I mean, from my perspective, I, I think that timeout really woke up the Raiders like, oh, this is how we're going to play it? Then we're going to we're gonna beat you and shut you out of the playoffs. Yeah, I, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, whether the Raiders should have just played for the tie in that situation. But I love what they did. If if I am a any head of FL head coach and I have the opportunity to clinch a playoff victory or clinch a playoff swap for myself – and also knock out one of my division rivals in the process, I go for it every single time. And you brought up the point, Eric, that, you know, in playing for the field goal, there's always uh, the opportunity that, you know, something goes wrong. There's a blocked field goal that re gets returned for a touchdown. And that's all of that's very true. The tie was the safest option, but I love what the Raiders did. I love that they went for it. And not just because it benefits me as a Steelers fan in getting my Steelers into the playoffs by there being a winner in this game. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps to light the competitive fire for the Raiders to enter the playoffs. I, I, I think my only hesitation is 
47-yard field goal is no gimme. I, I mean, it's uh, in our minds. I think even like we see, oh, say 50 yards is pretty far. So I mean, there's only three yards out of 50 yards. Um, so th there's definitely a realistic possibility that it could have been blocked, but. Uh, I, I definitely respect the decision, particularly with the Chargers deciding to say, hey, I want to win this game as well, um, and, and, uh, and having the Raiders um, kind of shutting their divisional foe out. Yeah, and so that wrapped up the whole Week 18, that wrapped up the NFL season, and in the wake of that season being wrapped up, uh, there have been a couple of decisions for teams to let their coaches go. And that creates, you know, it's it's always a thing in the NFL. The first Monday after the regular season end is, is often known as Black Monday because of the number of firings that go on, because of the number that jobs that open up. And so we know the, the teams that are in the playoffs. We know in the AFC, it's Chiefs, uh, it's Titans, Chiefs, Steelers, Bills, Patriots, and... The last one that I'm blanking on right now, Bengals Raiders. There it is. And then the NFC, we have the Packers as the number one seed. We had the Bucks as the number two seed. The Eagles at the number seven seed. The Cowboys as the three seed with the 49ers as the six seed. And then the four and five was the Rams and Cardinals. So most of those teams, very happy with their coaches. Teams that didn't make the playoffs, not so happy. And you had the Bears and Vikings all just decided to fire their coach after their game. The Giants fired Joe Judge, I believe, on Tuesday instead of Monday uh, after that debacle of a last game against the Washington football team, which capped pretty much a disastrous season overall. The Texans decided to part ways with David Culley, who, in my mind, was really set up for failure. And so that firing seemed a little bit unfair to me. The Dolphins unexpectedly letting go of uh, Brian Flores after a winning season, albeit one where they once again missed out on the playoffs. The Broncos let go of Vic Fangio, and so they are looking for a new coach. And then the Jaguars and Raiders have interim coaches, and so that job is open. Although I would argue that the Raiders' job seems pretty likely to uh, end up with their interim head coach, Rich Basakia, or however that's pronounced. Um, and so that maybe is a soft opening, not really a, a true opening in a lot of senses. But I ask you, Eric, before we get into our playoff discussion, all of these teams looking for a new head coach. All of these teams, I think you could argue, have some positives going for them, but there are also a lot of negatives, a lot of baggage that comes with taking on these jobs. If you were a prospective NFL head coach candidate and you were offered all of these jobs, which one would be the most intriguing to you? Well, I think the first one to start off the list that I'm kind of kind of going to kind of remove, and you already mentioned it, is the Raiders since, A, they're a playoff team. So, I mean, I think it's as a head coach, I think it would be pretty appealing just to pick up a playoff team right off the bat. But it does sound like a pretty soft opening. I, I'm not convinced that they want to shake up the, the coaching staff too much, um, particularly with how the team has rallied. Um, but I guess we'll have to see. Uh, if it wasn't the Raiders, all these other teams are actually out of the playoffs. I think the two teams that, like you also mentioned, uh, fire the coaches that, from my perspective, exceeded expectations were actually the Texans and the Dolphins. Um, I expect the Texans to be a lot worse, and I expect the Dolphins to play a lot worse as well. 
um, and they kind of showed at the beginning of the season, but they came around with a, a winning streak. Uh, but I think for me personally, I am a little intrigued by the Broncos actually uh, and, and their openings. I, I think they still have a stable core on defense and they did lock up their three wide receivers uh, in Cortland Sutton, Sutton, oh man, and then uh, Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick. Um, they have a great running back in Javante Williams. I think their offensive line is pretty okay. They just need a quarterback, and I think that's something that they're going to target this offseason. Um, I'm expecting to pick up a quarterback this offseason, so if and when that happens, I think the coach that is hired is kind of in uh, a position to maybe even get carried by the quarterback that they pick up in the offseason. Um, and I think that could put them in a position to possibly coach the year because I think they're going to exceed expectations, particularly from how the Broncos played this year. Uh, so that, for me, sounds one of the more intriguing locations to pick up out of all these other places because the other places, like you mentioned, has a lot of baggage. They um, have a lot of growth that needs to be done, either on the offensive or de- defensive side of the ball. Well, I think the Broncos are pretty close, in my mind, to being able to make that, that playoff berth. Yeah, so I think the Broncos is going to be a super hot job, and it'll be really intriguing to me as to what coach they end up uh, landing on. I think they honestly should have their pick of coaches uh, in a lot of regards. You know, Brian Flores, somebody who was fired from the Dolphins, I think, unjustly in a lot of ways. It'd be really interesting to see if maybe the Broncos could tempt him there, um, although I know he will have a lot of interest from other teams. For me, I'm going to highlight two teams. Um, I think the Vikings job is really interesting because there is a lot of high-end talent on that Vikings team. Offensively, you have two studs in Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson. Um, The offensive line, while not a finished project, has a lot of intriguing pieces in Garrett Bradbury at center, Brian O'Neill at tackle, uh, and I think there's a lot of room for growth there. They just drafted Christian Darisaw last year in the draft. He has pretty high upside. And so I think the offense, there's a lot to like. The defense needs work. That is absolutely true. But I think there are still some good playmakers there in Daniil Hunter. Um, and, you know, you have an older Harrison Smith, but I think he's a, a still a serviceable player. An older Eric Kendricks, but I think he's still a serviceable player. They need to figure out the secondary as, as a whole. But I think the because you have some elite talents there, uh, specifically in Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson, I think it's a really interesting opening. And then I have to talk about the Jaguars because there are a lot of pieces on this Jaguars team that you can build around. Uh, You have Trevor Lawrence, who had an up-and-down rookie season, but I don't know that that was always his fault, given what he was surrounded with. You have, you know, Travis Etienne and James Robinson, who will both be coming off injuries next year, but are both talented uh, players who can make a lot of difference in both the running game and the passing game. Uh, you have players on defense. You have Josh Allen, the the pass rusher, not the quarterback, Caleb on chase on, uh, as well as miles Jack and some other players later on that defense. And then you have another number one overall pick. Now that's not to say that I expect, you know, the Jaguars to be one coach away from 
being a playoff team necessarily, but I think there is such a strong foundation there that if you can bring someone in and avoid the chaos that followed Urban Meyer into that job, which clearly ended up being a terrible hiring decision by the Jaguars front office, but if they can get this hiring decision right, I think they're a lot closer to competence than their worst record in the NFL this season suggests. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think as long as the front office decides to pick up someone who can help build the culture and kind of uh, cultivate the talent that they have, then I think the Jaguars could be in a good direction. Do I necessarily have faith in that and um, possibly the meddling of the front office to kind of mess with that uh, that roster? I, I don't have a lot of faith. Uh, but the Jaguars certainly have an opportunity as long as they hire a strong-willed coach, uh, even to make a splash in the division as a whole because um, Colts have questions. Uh, we'll see how long the Titans can keep up their reign at the top, and the Texans are also uh, rebuilding at this point. So the AFC South has always been a little open, and the Jaguars, if they ever find an opportunity to turn around, they can always uh, find an opportunity to sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so we've recapped Week 18. Now let's recap, maybe my favorite recapping that we'll do this whole podcast episode, the, the final standings for the Pickums, or at least for the regular season, I should say. And I, I'll take my applause, I'll take my flowers, I ended up as the number one host in terms of our Pickums. I went 139, 131, and 2 after an 8-8 eight and eight week in week 18. Eric stormed back into second and finished 8-8 eight and eight in week 18 and 129, 141, and 2 overall. And then Brendan, who for so long was the, was the one to beat. He was the person to catch in this pick'em uh, race, and he definitely tumbled down the stretch, going a combined... 3-29 and 29 in the last two weeks of the season to finish 126, 144, and 2. Now, the good news is, Eric, if you want to call it that, is we all beat the consensus. <laughs> the consensus finished at 123, 147, and 2. We were all above that. But I was the one, only one who finished uh, with a winning record after a... Pretty solid end to the season, I, I must say. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you mentioned, Brandon was the one to beat at the beginning of the season. He did come off uh, with some pretty early starts. Uh, we struggled uh, at least the first two weeks where we went 5-11, uh, 4-11 in that ballpark. Uh, and we did mention that Brandon, uh, or at the very least we talked about in one of our earlier recordings, it's not necessarily how you start, but it's how you finish. And John definitely took that to a tee and uh, ended the season on absolute fire. Uh, we did have, as a group, an, an anomaly in Week 17, uh, but he came out since like Week 13 having uh, nine correct picks, ten correct picks uh, for a couple of weeks, and he, I mean, really turned his record around. Yeah, and it, it really with Brendan, it kind of reminded me in terms of his picks of a team that starts out really hot but then doesn't make adjustments as – the other teams around them adjust to their, to their, you know, to, to everything else that's going on. Cause I feel like he just kept riding with a lot of the same ideas with a lot of the same teams. 
And whereas you and I more so adjusted and sort of went with what we had seen, the flow of the season. And so I was really happy to, to end up as at least winning something. After Eric won the fantasy championship, I won the regular season picks. And so maybe, you know, maybe Brendan wins something in the playoffs. Uh, we'll see. But with the regular season over, the other thing I wanted to talk about, Eric, was at the beginning of the year, we, in our preview episode, we talked about, we did, we went through all the teams. We picked the over-under in terms of wins. And there were a couple of surprising results uh, that ended up either way overachieving or ended up sort of missing the mark that Vegas set for them by a lot. And let's start with those over teams, Eric. There were a number of teams that really went over their number. Uh, I think the Raiders were chief among them going plus three from their initial over-under, which was set at seven. They win 10 games. The Eagles were another team that really surpassed expectations going plus two and a half wins to their early season projected over-under. And then we had another team in the Cardinals who I, I think when we started the season, we all admitted how surprised we were, but I think maybe that surprise sort of went away as they continued to sort of keep pace and everything like that. But they were another team that compared to what we thought of them at the beginning of the season, they outperformed expectations going plus two and a half wins as well. Of those teams that I mentioned, or maybe another team, was there one that really surprised you by how well they performed this year? Yeah, for these three teams in particular, I, admittedly, I believed, I, I truly did believe that it was in the realm of possibilities that the Raiders would make the playoffs. I just expected them to kind of do their Raiders, or predicted them rather, to do their Raiders way and kind of hit the 500 mark at either 9 and 8 or 8 and 9. Uh, but going 10 and 7, I, I don't think it's necessarily too surprising for me to make that sort of jump. Uh, so that's definitely um, impressive. Uh, for them, I think the Cardinals are an interesting one because uh, they had an early season start. But from my perspective, they also regressed to where I expected them to. They did hit two and a half wins over their mark, but during the season, we kind of saw what we kind of expected. Um, they they came out hotter than we expected, but also they fell back um, onto uh, six losses, um, which is still better than we expected, but it still fell back to how hot they could have been. Um, to the point of me being surprised um, that leaves the other two uh, but I guess let me speak on the Eagles I think I was surprised this is the Eagles I predicted them to be at the bottom of the NFC East uh, I, I didn't give them much of a chance to make the playoffs I, I did mention I, I do remember us talking about um, whether we give the Eagles a chance I, I did mention that there's every possibility that the NFC East has itself flipped on its head because that's just how the NFC East plays out every year. Um, obviously, the Washington football team was kind of a disappointment. New York Giants, I expected them to do better. Um, there's definitely the possibility that the Eagles jumped on top of that um, on weak division mates, and they certainly did. Uh, but even saying that, I'm surprised how well the Eagles' defense played. It kept them in a lot of games, and that was despite Jalen Hurts, who I think some predicted would take the league by storm or at least play much better this year but even watching some of their games he didn't necessarily look like a great quarterback didn't necessarily look like um an individual who would take the jump of like lamar jackson uh josh allen uh Kyler murray like these individuals who uh, are possibly mobile but also a, a throwing threat 
Um, and it, it didn't look like that, but even in spite of that, I think it's surprising for me that they kept on winning games and made the playoffs as the seventh seed this year. Yeah, and, and one team I forgot to mention, maybe this is my Steelers fan bias coming out here uh, subconsciously. The Bengals actually were the one who outperformed their win projection by the most. They went plus three and a half wins as they were projected to win. The over-under at least was set at six and a half. They end up with ten. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think the Eagles was honestly the most surprising one. And you talk about how Jalen Hurts didn't really take the league by storm. I still think he outperformed a lot of expectations. I think a lot of people would have said that they expected the Eagles to take a step back as the league sort of figured out Jalen Hurts. And while Jalen Hurts is by no means an upper echelon starting quarterback, he is by no means the dynamic throwing threat that you would hope for. I think he still outperformed my expectations, at least in the stability that he provided this Eagles offense in and his ability to once they really committed to being a running team, a run first team to sort of expertly orchestrate that rushing attack and and sort of be that calming influence as the quarterback. Now, I still fully believe that Jalen Hurts going forward for the Eagles, at least, is more of a limiting factor than he is going to be a sort of positive factor or, or, or somebody that takes the Eagles over the top. But for at least for this season, he definitely way outperformed my expectations for him in guiding the Eagles to a playoff appearance. And so they are definitely the most surprising team for me. You touched on, I, I think with the Raiders and the, the Cardinals in particular, we expected those divisions to all be really close. We expected all of those teams to be competitive and there were very thin lines in terms of, you know, a couple wins here or there could take one team from second place to fourth place. And the Raiders and the Cardinals were the ones that ended up really benefiting from certainly the Seahawks and the Cardinals case not being as good as we thought. And then in the Raiders case, the Broncos and Chargers being maybe a little bit less good than we thought they would be. And so those teams were the ones that really benefited the most. The Bengals, I, I, let's, let's move into the most surprising under teams because I think those are really going to explain why the Bengals ended up where they are. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think um, the ones uh, that are possibly on the list that uh, I think we've kind of listed here are the Ravens, who uh, we expected to possibly win that AFC North crown, uh, but they played well under expectations at the end of the season, and their defense kind of fell apart. Uh, the Browns, I put in contention to win the division, um, also fell apart near the end of the season, and a lot of questions swirled around Baker Mayfield and his ability to lead the team. The Seahawks uh, were plagued with an injury to Russell Wilson in the middle of the season, but even when Russell Wilson came back, he didn't necessarily lead the team to where to the level that we would expect them to, uh, playing well below expectations for that team. Uh, despite them beating the Cardinals at the end of the season, they didn't necessarily show up in a lot of the, the their last few games. And finally, the Panthers, who I predicted to make the playoffs uh, as a wild card team, fell under 
expectations as well. I, I expected a lot out of Sam Darnold, and I anticipated Christian McCaffrey to stay healthy throughout the season. Um, neither of those happened. They had a lot of questions in uh, quarterback now, bringing back Cam Newton, uh, and he didn't necessarily play well enough to uh, keep his job in my mind. Um, and while the defense did have a lot of uh, notable uh, plays throughout the season, uh, they also seemed to have uh, fell back in the upper echelon of defenses at the end of the season. So uh, I'm curious, John, of what you think about um, the most surprising unders here. So in a lot of ways, I think it has to be the Ravens just because of how high I was on them. I had them as being... Not only the winners of the AFC North, but making it all the way to the AFC Championship game at the beginning of the season. Now, is it surprising in the sense of they got completely destroyed by injuries? Lamar Jackson missed significant time for the first time in his career. And all of that sort of coalescing into a you know much lower than expected win total. Is that surprising? No, but this team clearly had a lot higher ceiling than where they actually landed. Now, to me, the Browns one is a little bit less surprising because for the simple fact that I think the Browns were largely had held back by regression on the part of Baker Mayfield, and that is one of the least surprising things that happened this year just because I don't really believe a whole lot in what Baker Mayfield has to offer as a quarterback, I think he's very mediocre. And so the Browns had a very mediocre season as a result. Um, the Seahawks were surprising and not surprising in one sense, in, 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 in another sense, because they showed at the end of the season that I think they were a lot more talented than their record actually suggested. But at the same time, they played in such a hard division that it was always a possibility that they were going to be the one team that was the odd man out. And so that's where it ended. Uh, we'll see where they go, not having a first round pick because of the Jamal Adams trade and having questions about re whether Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll or both are still in the plan for the future of the Seahawks. And then the Panthers, just to touch on really quickly, I think going into next year and they have a lot of work to do in the offseason, particularly at quarterback. But I think going into next year, Matt Rule is going to be the coach most on the hot seat of any coach in the NFL. And so he's going to really need to show something in year three in that project with the Panthers uh, to prevent him from being fired and probably being forced back into the college ranks. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with everything you said. I think I do want to have the opportunity to touch on the Bengals because it does sound like we... Uh, didn't give them enough credit. I think, uh, like you mentioned, the Ravens are probably one of the most surprising to not take the division. Uh, losing Lamar Jackson was uh, most painful for them because he was a possible MVP candidate, and the Ravens will, I believe I mentioned it during the middle of the season, that the Ravens will only be as good as Lamar Jackson uh, can take them or, or will play. Uh, and with him not being there, their defense was, uh, for whatever reason, even though he doesn't play defense, um, didn't play as well up to uh, Raven standards, um, anywhere near close uh, from our perspective. So they have a project on that end. Um, but, yeah, they kind of fell apart at the end of the season. And then the Browns, uh, I 
anticipated them to run the ball better this year. Um, while I do think Nick Chubb is still up there in uh, total rushing yards or, or at least in effective rushing, uh, they didn't get as much of a punch out of uh, the rushing game and losing Odell Beckham. While he may not have been a big presence on that uh, offense to begin with, um, I think still kind of shook up how this Browns team would uh, stick together and, and kind of grind it out. Um, so the Bengals took advantage of that. And it's impressive how they overcame um, the questions they have with the offensive line um, and sticking of Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase absolutely popping off this year. And their defense playing much better than I ever anticipated uh, to keep them in games. Uh, Joe Mixon stayed healthy throughout the year. Uh, Joe Burrow came back from his ACL tear uh, without much issues and kind of a thing in the past. Uh, so it, it, it's great to see how the Bengals turned it around and were able to capitalize on a flurry of issues with their division uh, opponents here. Yeah, and, and uh, this is the last thing I'll say. Going into the season, we expected the Browns and the Ravens to sort of rule the NFC or the AFC North going forward. And I think now going into next season, my expectations is instead it's going to be the Ravens are still going to be up there, assuming they get everyone back healthy. But it's going to be going forward for maybe the next three to five years, a battle between the Bengals and the Ravens for superiority and the Steelers and the Browns are just going to be playing catch-up. So, with that said, we move into Wild Card Weekend, Eric. The eagerly anticipated start to the NFL playoffs. And I don't know about you, but just about every matchup here has me super intrigued. I think just about every matchup really could go either way. And that's why I'm so excited to talk about this with you now, we start with two games on Saturday, so this will be out right before those games kick off if you wanted to get a little bit of a preview before you sit down to watch some NFL football. And it starts with Raiders at Bengals. Now, this is a rematch of the regular season game that was in Las Vegas. The Bengals won that 32-13, to so a pretty big win for Cincinnati there. And now they're rematching in Ohio, in Cincinnati, how do you see this one playing out here? So I'm actually most excited about this game of all the games that we're going to talk about for whatever reason. Um, I think this one has every opportunity to be pretty chaotic. I think the Raiders are riding on a high that could be magical and take them uh, possibly deeper into the playoffs. While the Bengals are showing up that they're the upcoming uh, team to make a splash in this playoffs. Uh, from my perspective, uh, the Bengals and the Raiders did play early in the season. The Bengals did end up blowing that Raiders team out. Uh, and so with this five-and-a-half point line that the Bengals are giving at home, I will lean toward the Bengals. I think uh, that they will, uh, I mean, come out with guns blazing with Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. Uh, T. Higgins should uh, deserve some credit here, along with Tyler Boyd, the third wide receiver at this point. Um, I, I think that Raiders have a lot more questions on defense that um, have been questions throughout the season. And um, while the Raiders have been playing with absolute fire, I don't think there's any um, shame in kind of going out this way. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that they're the best team to make the playoffs, I, I mean, very clearly. And I think um, that their magical season will kind of um, end in Cincinnati here. And 
either way, whoever wins this game, it's going to put an end to a in you know incredibly long streak uh, of not winning a playoff game. Now the Bengals have the longer streak. The Bengals have literally not won a playoff game in our lifetime, Eric. Their last win was in the 1990 playoffs over the Houston Oilers. So their last win was against a team that no longer exists, at least in name. Uh, I mean, which is amazing because uh, Marvin Lewis was able to take this Bengals team to the playoffs with like Andy Dolan at the helm, and they never actually grinded any of those games out to a win. Yeah, and, and the Raiders, on the other hand, have had a little bit more recent success, but they still haven't had a playoff win since the 2002 season where they made it to the Super Bowl and lost to the Buccaneers. So they, and they've only had one playoff appearance since then back in 2016 um, where they lost in the wild card round as well. So with all that context being put out there, I am also going to go with the Bengals in this one. I think Joe Burrow, especially in the second half of the season, has really elevated his play. I think this Bengals offense, uh, like I said last week, is one of the up-and-coming, truly elite units in the NFL. Now, there is the big caveat of their offensive line is not there yet. Their offensive line is not at the same level that Joe Burrow is. Their offensive line is not at the same level that the skill position players are. And the Raiders do have a good pass rush with Max Crosby and a couple of other guys on that front seven who can really get after the quarterback. And so there is a world where that Raiders pass rush does cause trouble for the Bengals. Um, but even as five and a half point favorites, I expect the Bengals to have enough offense to pull away from this Raiders team late and score their first playoff win since the early 90s yeah I, I like that and i'll be excited honestly for whichever team that wins this matchup i'll be kind of excited to root for them in their next matchup whether it be uh against the titans or um whether the chiefs or the bills grind it out or, or any other upsets that happen there um that matchup but I, I think i'll be excited regardless of whoever the matchup with to kind of root for for one of these two teams and shadow producer brendan has weighed in now he didn't specify that this is purely a cover. So it looks like he does have the Raiders winning. And so that'll be interesting. Maybe he just believes in sort of the, the Cinderella story, if you will, of this Raiders team, uh, especially after the way their season started with John Gruden and the uh, John Gruden incident and the Henry Ruggs incident and everything that uh, happened related to that. So maybe he just believes in, in sort of the storyline here, but he is going with the Raiders now, the over-under here set at a pretty spicy total of 48.5 points. Now, I said the last one totaled up to 45 points, so maybe expecting a little bit better of an offensive showing from the Raiders here. How do you see this one playing out in terms of a point total here? Yeah, for me, I think it'd be a... Actually, not, not too similar to the last game because I remember the last game uh, being a lot of Joe Mixon from the Bengals. I'm anticipating a lot more out of Jamar Chase and the passing game uh, with Joe Burrow and also like T. Higgins getting more involved. Uh, I, I believe that they'll make every opportunity to air the ball out. And I think the Raiders will come back firing this game. I, I think they know the team that they're playing against now because it's good to have tape against your opponent in the wild card round. And I think we be much better for them with uh, how well Hunter Renfro has been playing, how well 
uh, or how uh, Darren Waller's come back healthy. Josh Jacobs seems to be healthy. Um, I anticipate a higher scoring game, so I'll take the over here. I will say, though, that I will recognize that there's a possibility that this could be a high field goal game because I think Dan Carlson and Evan McPherson, uh, I could see them kicking a lot of field goals this game, and I would respect the under here, which I think is what uh, Brendan is taking here as well. But I'll take the over. Yeah, and so I'm not going to overcomplicate this. The last game the Raiders played, they scored 35 points. The last game where the Bengals had their full complement of players because Burrow and Mixon and, and some of the other were not playing in Week 18 against the Browns, they scored 34 points. To me, the way these teams are playing, the rhythm that they found offensively, and the fact that I think for both teams, the offense is by far the better unit than the defense, I expect this to be a high-scoring affair. Um, I think both Derek Carr and Joe Burrow are underrated in some respects uh, in the sense that they are not talked about with some of the upper echelon quarterbacks and their performance this season maybe says that that shouldn't be the case. And so I think they come out, this is a high scoring affair. Now that is part of the reason I'm with the Bengals in this one is because I think a high scoring affair does favor the more explosive Bengals offense, but I don't expect the Raiders to come out and only score 13 points again. It, it does sound like, I'm not sure if you view this, I, I do anticipate a rather close game. I just do anticipate the last quarter kind of being of a touchdown margin because five and a half points is a little large from my perspective, so I did hesitate a little bit. Uh, but I do anticipate the Bengals to possibly win on like a final touchdown rather than um, a field goal or necessarily a blowout. Yeah, I, I mean... I could certainly see like a a thirty one a thirty one twenty four game or a a thirty four twenty seven something in that area. Again, I think there are going to be a lot of points scored. Uh, Josh Jacobs is a name we haven't mentioned. Someone who was huge in that win against the Chargers. He's really turned it on of late. So I, I think there's a lot of weapons here. And like I said, not to say that these defenses are horrible by any means, but I don't think they're necessarily top tier at all either and so i think that leans towards a a more of a shootout than a tight close cagey affair that maybe we're used to seeing in the playoffs now where i definitely do expect a closer game is in this other game that's on saturday eric and that is what i'm calling the de facto afc east championship game between the Patriots at the uh, taking on the Bills in Buffalo. And the Bills come into this game four-and-a-half-point favorites at home. And once again, Eric, we saw this in the Monday night matchup between these two teams in Buffalo. They played in rough conditions. Once again, we're getting some pretty rough conditions as the temperature is supposed to be in the single digits here uh, in Buffalo. And so... Knowing what we saw last time, knowing how the weather might play a factor, how do you see this one playing out? Well, we'll speak on the weather. I don't anticipate this necessarily being the snowstorm that it was last game. Uh, and I think there's a lot of questions as to whether how, how much that played a part in the Patriots win last time. Um, as, as we remember, Mac Jones only threw, what, three passes or maybe less? I, I forget at this point. Um, three yeah, passes, yeah. And it was all... A, a ground and pound strategy for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Um, I think that perspective or, or that loss for the Bills um, really woke them up, and I think they played much better the second time around against the run. Um, 
and I think that'll be a much more difficult strategy for the Patriots to utilize. Uh, so I, I want to root for the Patriots. I actually do think the Patriots have every possibility to win this game. But with that question over the Patriots' head about whether they were just kind of carried to that win thanks to the weather and the Bills weren't weren't ready for it, albeit, albeit in Buffalo at their own um, their own stadium there, um, I think. I'm anticipating the Patriots to kind of keep this game within that four and a half point margin that the spread is given, um, but the Bills to pull this game out and, and win because of how well they played the last time against the Patriots um, in Foxborough. Yeah, so this is going to be an ugly football game. I don't know uh, any other way to slice this because it's going to be freaking cold. Currently, the temperature in Buffalo at the time of recording, eight degrees. And it is not nighttime yet, and I believe this game is being played at night, so that probably will only go down from here. And an interesting uh, stat or tidbit that Mina Kimes of ESPN has really been championing uh, this last week is of 41 eligible quarterbacks since Josh Allen came into the league, Josh Allen is 40th in games played uh below freezing temperatures in terms of completion percentage so josh allen is you know just because he is the bills quarterback does not automatically make him a great cold weather quarterback now that's josh allen the thrower i think where this bills team has really come a long way since that loss to new england in the blizzard like conditions earlier in the season is josh allen the runner has really started to play with with more intensity and, and with more um, conviction, I think. And Zach, or excuse me, um, Devin Singletary has really turned things on as a running back uh, to close out the season. And I think between those two and between the fact that you're still looking at a team quarterback in the Patriots by a rookie in Mac Jones who just doesn't seem to be there yet. He certainly has exceeded expectations in a lot of way in guiding this team to the playoffs, but I don't think he is there yet in terms of his ability to make the plays uh, that is going to that are going to be necessary to pull out a playoff win, especially in less than ideal conditions. And so, I have the Bills winning. I will take them to cover just because. I think at the end of the day, Josh Allen is more than four and a half points better than Mac Jones. And in my mind, this is that simple to me. But it's interesting because all three of the hosts have different opinions. Brendan's taking the Patriots to win outright. You're taking the Patriots to cover, but the Bills to win. And I'm taking the Bills to win and cover. I like it. I think, I think it's the way it should be, quite honestly. Uh, that's... Honestly, what and, I expected a lot more of the season, quite honestly. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's nice to see because it, it honestly it's kind of kind of uncomfortable for me sometimes when we're all on the same pick because it leads me to the question about like does someone else know something we don't? What yeah, are we exactly. missing? What are we missing? Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. I completely get that. And and like I said, I expect this to be an ugly football game. I don't expect this to be you know sort of a sort of the type of football game that you want to frame and hang in a museum. Not at all. Uh, and so it, when you get an ugly football game, you know, one bounce of the ball here, one turnover there, and you could really swing things. And so maybe this is the most appropriate game for us all to be on different pages 
Now, it does surprise me that Brendan has the Patriots winning, but is going with the over at the over under 44 points. Because in my mind, at least, and and maybe you're on the same page, maybe not, Eric, I think the under is what favors the Patriots more than the over. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if the Patriots want to win this game, I anticipate them to have the ball a lot, control the ball of the run. Uh, he must be expecting a lot out of Mac Jones to outscore the Bills uh, to that margin. Uh, but I'm, or maybe a, maybe a lot out of Damian Harris. Possibly, but I mean, to get over that line, Damian Harris would need to break off a lot of runs uh, rather than control the ball. Because, uh, I mean, so, so if in my mind, 44 points is a 24 to 20 margin. Um, 20. Yep. Particularly with this line here. And it, I don't see this game actually going over that point. There's there's a possibility, but for the Patriots to also win, uh, I I don't see it. I think if uh, like kind of how you're implying, if it were to go over the margin, I would anticipate the Bills to necessarily put up all those points. Um, but for the Patriots to win, and uh, for this line to hit uh, this this uh, point total to hit over 44 points is. Uh, kind of difficult for me to see. Yeah, in my mind, this is a first team to 20 wins game because of the conditions, because of everything that I've mentioned. And for that, I'm going with the under. Uh, I could easily see this being a 21-10 Bills win or a 21-14, somewhere in that area. Um, but I think, like I said, first team to 20 wins and I don't really see both teams getting to 20, which leads me to believe this is this is really more of an under, uh, especially given the conditions. Now, one thing that I did want to uh, posit to you, Eric, because ESPN has a couple of interesting sort of parlay-type picks. They, they're calling it the pigskin playoff pick em. Really, they're just fancy parlays, uh, in my mind, or, or props. Um, and they singled out for these Saturday games four players. Jamar Chase for the Bengals, Josh Jacobs for the Raiders, Stefan Diggs for the Bills, and Damian Harris for the Patriots. Now, they're asking which of you think will score more touchdowns. In my mind, the more interesting question, Eric, is which team needs that star player to step up the most if they expect to come out of this Saturday with a win? Yeah, for me, it'd be no doubt in my mind it'd be Damian Harris, who we just talked about, to uh, control the ball, not fumble the ball, and pick up the yards that this team needs such that they don't put Mac Jones in positions where he needs to pick up third and seven um, every single time they're out there. Uh, I think a lot of these other teams have a lot of other weapons that allow these uh, star players to not necessarily need to take over the game. Jamar Chase also has T. Higgins and Joe Mixon. Uh, Stephon Diggs uh, could lean on uh, Josh Allen, and they have given other wide receivers opportunities throughout the year um, to to kind of take advantage. So I don't think Stephon Diggs necessarily needs to go off for them to win this game either. And then Josh Jacobs, I, I could see the Raiders have a lot of uh, ground and pound strategy, but. I'm anticipating more about Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller in the passing game. So there's only one player in my mind that uh, is going to be heavily dependent on to win their game, and I think that's going to be Damian Harris. Um, even despite, I, I should mention Rowan J. Stevenson behind him, um, but I think they're going to need Damian Harris and pound of that one-two punch um, for the Patriots to win this game. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Uh, I think the running backs particularly – 
for those underdog teams, at least in my mind, they're underdogs, um, are going to need to show out. But I think Damian Harris even more so because of those four teams, I think he is playing with the least effective quarterback. All right. And so moving now from the Saturday games to the Sunday games, we have a couple of NFC matchups in the Eagles and the Bucks and the 49ers and the Cowboys. But let's start in Tampa. Buccaneers, eight and a half point favorites. So the biggest line of any of the NFC games. And this was a game that I believe was also a rematch of a regular season affair that was a lot tighter than we expected. And the Buccaneers since then have sort of just been the team we expected them to be, while the Eagles have been a lot better than we expected them to be. All that being said, Eric, uh, how do you see this game playing out? And do you expect it to be as tight as the original matchup, which finished 28-22? Or do you expect uh, maybe a little bit more of a blowout or a little bit more of a higher margin? Uh, So for me, uh, I will first mention that I'm taking the Buccaneers uh, to both cover the spread and and win, obviously. Uh, I think that this is a game where... The Buccaneers actually need to come out and establish themselves. I think there's been questions about their vulnerability uh, this past couple of weeks uh, with the injuries that they've sustained and Chris Godwin coming out with an ACL injury, uh, whether Leonard Fournette's going to come back uh, fully healthy, uh, whether Mike Evans is completely okay and making sure Gronkowski is also healthy. So I think they need to come out and establish this game. I think they have a great opportunity to against this Eagles team. that being said, and to kind of credence to those that might take the Eagles, uh, at least with the spread, I mean, Tom Brady is 0-5 against the spread against NFC opponents all time in the playoffs. Um, we remember his losses to the Eagles and the Giants uh, before. Um, he is 2-3 and three against the spread in wild card rounds. Um, he doesn't play too often in the wild card round, uh, but he is 0-3 in his last three wild card games against the spread. Um, so there's a possibility that Tom Brady might not be fully awake for this game either. Um, that being said, I, I also see that Philadelphia is 2-6 and six against teams with a winning record this season in particular, and that's also where I'm kind of coming from, and that he, the Eagles were good enough to make the playoffs with a 9-8 record. But I don't think they're good enough to make a splash against these upper echelon teams, and I think it will kind of show in this game, and I'm anticipating the Buccaneers to easily cover that 8.5 point line. So... I still think the Buccaneers are going to win, but it looks like Brendan and I are really on the same page where we expect a Bucks win, but an Eagles cover. And for me, it's a combination of two things. The Buccaneers are super banged up offensively. Ronald Jones and Cyril Grayson, who Cyril Grayson had been sort of filling in for Chris Godwin after that injury, they're both already ruled out. Fournette is still up in the air. And so I don't know what the Buccaneers are going to have available to them in terms of weapons offensively and how much of an effect that is going to have on their ability to really put up that big number that they would need to cover the spread. Additionally, they also have some questions on the defensive side of the ball, but the player that I'm really concerned about or, or you know, don't know if he's going to play and I think it's going to have the biggest effect is Levante David, who is their second starting inside linebacker next to Devin White and their best run stopper at the linebacker level. And so we know the Eagles want to run the ball and we know how 
that is really the focus of their offense. And we know that normally the, the Buccaneers are quite a stout running defense team. But I think if David doesn't play, I think that opens up enough uh, room inside, even with Devin White, even with Vita Vea and the rest of the front seven for the Buccaneers, that the Eagles may be able to get some stuff going on the ground and they may be able to limit the number of possessions in this game, drive the score down, and therefore uh, end up with a closer affair than we are necessarily, uh, than at least you, I guess, Eric, are necessarily predicting. Yeah, I think that's certainly in the possibilities. I think one player I'll mention, uh, not not to counter any of your points, uh, but mostly just a player to keep an eye on, and I'm kind of intrigued by, is uh, the Buccaneers did designate Giovanni Bernard, which is a running back that they acquired at the beginning of the season, or, or signed, um, to, to come back from IR. Uh, and he has been practicing this week, and with the injuries that they have with Rondo Jones and questions with Leonard Fournette, I um, am curious to see how well they integrate Giovanni Bernard because he he did uh, he was a player that uh, I guess kind of elevated the the perception of this running back core at the beginning of the season, and I'm um, hopeful that I think he kind of shows up in this game. Yeah, no, it's very fair, very fair. Um, now, in terms of the over-under, I sort of tip my hand there. I think it's an under because I think the Eagles are going to play enough ball control offense where this line of or this over-under line of 45 and a half uh, doesn't really come into play. And, you know, last time, even in that 22-28, you're, you're hitting a number of 50. I think it's even lower than that. I, I think this is a pretty low-scoring affair. Um, pretty grinded out, you know, run the ball type of deal. And maybe I'm proven wrong. Maybe Tom Brady proved me wrong once again. And the uh, Bucks get a, enough of a passing game going to supersede that over under to, to go over that line. But I'm I'm going with the under. Here. I, I'll take the over here. I, I see uh, Buccaneers playing at home. They have scored 41 points last game against the Panthers, 28 and 32 points against the Jets and the Canada, the Panthers before that game. Um, they even put up 33 points against the Bills. I think they're good enough to put somewhere like kind of a 28-point baseline. Um, and then I see the Eagles putting up points against their divisional rivals, and I see them coming kind of getting like a 21-point baseline as well, um, possibly field goal to hit 24 points. So I, I definitely see them hitting this over here uh, it, for this game. And even though Brennan is with me on the Eagles – covering but not winning he is with you eric on the over now going to the other game in the nfc 49ers at cowboys cowboys three point favorites eric this i feel like is the game maybe i'm most intrigued about because i think both of these teams have a ton of talent but they both have big question marks as well uh they have both have some ferocious front sevens but maybe not the strongest secondaries. And then offensively, uh, I think we believe in Dak Prescott and maybe not so much Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think we also believe in the 49ers running game and have some big question marks about the Cowboys running game. Now, with all that being said, Eric, are you deterred by this three-point line? Are you rolling with the home team? Or maybe you like the 49ers to continue their hot play down the stretch and steal one in Big D. Admittedly, I'm partially anticipating this to be a push, but I think uh, I'm going to uh, roll the Cowboys here. I think um, I, I anticipate their offense to be a much better. Um, I think they don't have as much to hold back on 
and hopefully they'll get a lot more out of Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Uh, they'll have Dak Prescott trying to get rolling with CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and uh, possibly Michael Gallup. <laughs> but I, I think this defense has also played well throughout the season. They played above expectations. I think they're good enough to match up against Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I think playing at home also is a big boon for them, and I'm anticipating them to pull this out against the, their NFC opponent here, NFC West opponent here. And I'm going to continue with a theme that I've had all season and roll with the 49ers. I think this is uh, a case where I believe in the 49ers skill players more than I believe in the Dallas Cowboys skill players, which is not something that I would have said at the beginning of the season, but the growth from uh, Elijah Mitchell, the fact that Debo Samuel has completely transformed himself into this ultimate Swiss army knife uh, weapon where he's in the backfield, he's in the slot, he's out wide. Uh, just, you never really know what, how they're going to use him. And that is intriguing to me. Uh, and then, you know, Brandon, Ayuk, George Kittle. I just like these weapons a lot more than what we've seen from the Cowboys overall. Now there's no question that Dak is a better quarterback than Jimmy G. Uh, but I think ultimately I'm just going to stick to my guns here and say I like the weapons from the 49ers better. I like the play calling from the 49ers better. Kyle Shanahan being clearly superior to me than Kellen Moore. And I think that ultimately makes a difference in what should be a really good game. I like it. So what do you what do you think about this uh, 50 and a half point total here, John? Uh, I, I see it. I think it'll be close. I, I think it'll really be close. I, I think so with that line, you're looking at an implied total of around what would that be like 20 to 21 to 20 <laughs> maybe know, like 20 27 i'm not doing the math here 23 about yes yeah, so, something like that kind of throws it off but yeah it's around there yeah 27 23 i think this could be just slightly below that we saw the 49ers play a game last week uh, where it was a 27-24, so it goes just over to the 51 total. I think the Cowboys' defense is a little bit stronger than the Rams' defense, so I think this could be a 24-20, maybe a, a 21-24 kind of game um, if you're believing in that push, like you said, Eric. And so I'm going to take the under here, um, but it, it'll be close. Is, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would lean with, toward the under here. Um, I'm anticipating both of these defenses to play particularly well against these offenses. While I did mention a lot of offensive plays, players earlier, um, I don't think necessarily either teams are going to make that much of a, a create that much of a margin against the other play, the other team. Um, so a, as a result, I, I would definitely take the under this 50 half point total, which I think is the highest of all of our games to, for this wildcard weekend. Um, it should be mentioned yeah, that it does it sound is, like is. Uh, Brendan is taking the 49ers. I, I don't know. We mentioned that. And he's looking at an over for this uh, point total here, uh, which should be interesting. Yeah, so he's, the, so he's the only one on the over, which, uh, you know, maybe he sees it as an offensive shootout where the 49ers just have a little bit more oomph. Um, but either way, again, another one where we are sort of split on our game scripts. You and I, Eric, both on the under, but we have different teams pulling it out. Brendan and I both on the 49ers, but he sees it more as an offensive affair where I see it more as that 
stereotypical close cagey playoff game where teams are really minimizing risk and, and trying to just put themselves in the best position to, to pull it out. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see. Um, now there is another game on Sunday that isn't in the NFC. Um, and that is my Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to the Kansas city chiefs. Now, if you all remember, this was a game that was actually played very recently uh, in the same conditions in Kansas city and the Steelers lost 36 to 10. Uh, and Ben Roethlisberger has come out this week and said that he feels like the Steelers are probably 20 point underdogs, even though the line is only set at 12 and a half and no one expects them to win. And so they're just going to go out and have fun. Eric, how much fun do you think the Steelers are going to have this week? I don't have high faith. I think uh, Ben Roethlisberger has uh, gone a lot of the ovations that he's he's deserved over the past two games in the regular season. And uh, I'm glad to see him get his final victory against the Ravens in overtime as well. Um, but I, with this 12.5 point line and how good the Chiefs have been playing at home, I think the Chiefs are going to show up again and establish themselves as a real contender and uh, shut out this, not actually shut out, but like shut down this Steelers team um, and put a lot of questions about their offense again. I think uh, there's no shame in the Steelers losing to a possible Super Bowl, uh, possible winning team, at least the team that I'm predicting to make it. Uh, but I, I don't think they'll have a lot much fun in this game in particular. We just look at one game. So I'll just point out that both Shadow Producer Brendan and I are both on the Steelers to cover. Now, I have no idea why Shadow Producer Brendan picked the Steelers to cover. I am doing it mostly out of hope and out of a sign of respect to Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, TJ Watt, and the rest of the Steelers' defense because they have pulled out some improbable wins. I believe I saw a something online of a description of the Steelers as the zombie that the NF that the uh, AFC just can't seem to get rid of just when you think that you've killed them off and that they're out of the playoff contention out of the picture they rise back up and keep on going uh and so with that sort of zombie mentality I think they scratch and claw their way into covering this line but I think the Chiefs still win yeah I mean I think they could have a formula to keep them in this game uh, with the tape that they have against uh, the Chiefs earlier and then also how well the Broncos played against the Chiefs, which I think could be a formula similar to the Steelers, honestly, with a decent defense and a rushing game uh, with Najee Harris comparable to Javante Williams and uh, not honestly a quarterback that airs the ball too much. Uh, I think that could certainly be in the realm of possibilities and keep the Steelers in this game. But I, I think otherwise I think the Chiefs will – um, establish themselves and as and as much as big ben has tumbled down the ranks of quarterbacks in his old age i think he's still a little bit better than drew lock although not as mobile as drew lock and i know that that actually played a pretty big part in the keeping the broncos in that so uh, maybe that lack of mobility does play a factor either way um we're all in the chiefs to win now this game the line is set exactly at 46 points which was the total from the game a couple of weeks ago so vegas not really going uh too far from what they know to happen when these two teams get together and that being said because i have the steelers covering i think i have to go with the under because 
clearly they are the undermanned team or or the, the the inferior team when it comes to offense. And so I think the only way that they stick within this 12 and a half point margin is by, you know, making some plays defensively, maybe forcing a couple of Patrick Mahomes turnovers and getting things done that way. I don't really see a world where this is a over and a Steelers cover. Yeah, I'm taking the under here as well. I think Brendan uh, is along with us. I'm, uh, while I'm anticipating a much bigger margin, possibly closer to 30 to 13, uh, I, I don't see a lot of opportunity for this to hit the over necessarily unless uh, Steelers' offense absolutely completely blows out the Chiefs' defense. Uh, but I'm anticipating lower scoring affair from the Steelers' offense and then uh, the Steelers' defense also to kind of keep the Chiefs in line um, to at least within 30, 28 points there. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to our last game of wildcard weekend, a Monday night affair in what could also be described as I described the bills Patriots game as the de facto AFC North championship game. This could be described as the de facto NFC West championship game. As we have another pair of teams in the Cardinals and the Rams who split their season series. And now they are rematching in the first round of the playoffs Rams four point favorites at home uh worth mentioning that when these two teams last played in los angeles that it was the cardinals who won the game and with all that being said who is the definitive afc or uh, excuse me nfc west champion in your mind eric after this game is all said and done well the actual last time these two teams played in arizona uh the rams actually did beat the Cardinals uh, 30 to 23. I think that's what I'm kind of going off of here. I'm not comfortable picking the Rams actually because I think Matthew Stafford has been playing atrociously for a, a team of this caliber. Uh, this defense clearly isn't up to par at the moment. Uh, but I have a lot of questions on the Cardinals side too. I think they continue to regress to where we predicted them at the beginning of the season. And I'm curious to see how Kyler Murray continues to play without DeAndre Hopkins as a top option, for example. Uh, I have questions about Chase Edmonds and James Conner continuing to get integrated into this offense again. Um, and I think there's too many questions for me on uh, for the Cardinals uh, to pick them in this game. Uh, so as a result, I'm Ryan of the Rams. I do see the Cardinals possibly winning this game as well. Uh, it's uh, much closer to a toss-up, but I think um, I, I'm leaning toward the Rams here because I, I do like what I see, uh, for example, Cooper Cup and what they might get out of the backfield. Yeah, uh, so... I think you'll agree with me, Eric, that whoever wins this game should be underdogs in in their second-round matchup. I don't think either of us have a lot of faith in the way these teams are getting into, you know, coming into the playoffs, uh, the fact that they both lost their Week 18 game, the fact that there are questions around their offenses, which are supposed to be the strength of their team, and the fact that Stafford has really his play has fallen off down the stretch. And then with the Cardinals, it's not so much that we have questions about Kyler Murray, but it's, we have questions about what's going to be around Kyler Murray. How healthy are the running backs? Is Deandre Hopkins going to be back for this playoff game? If he is back, what is his role going to be? And so for me, the big separator here is that the Rams do have a very healthy weapons group but do have a very healthy skill player core outside of Robert Woods who was obviously lost to the, for the season to the ACL injury but you know Cam Akers just came back they they still have Daryl Henderson they still have Sonny Michelle and then they have um Odell Beckham Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson 
in the receiver room. And so I think that group of receivers, that group of running backs is enough to have the Rams come out on top once again, cover this four-point line. But I definitely, my opinion of both of these teams has soured a little bit uh, towards the end of the season and would definitely have them as underdogs no matter who they played in the next round. Yeah, and it seems like uh, Brennan here is taking the Cardinals to go over here, which is certainly reasonable because he's also taking the Rams to win. Um, it does make me a little more comfortable that we're all taking the Rams to win because uh, there's certainly more, more, uh, a realm of possibilities that the Cardinals win this game. Uh, but I think there's certainly some debate here about how well these teams are playing. And with this 49.5 point total here, um, I'm leaning toward the under here. Uh, mostly because I have questions about both of these offenses. Uh, as I already mentioned, uh, I don't anticipate necessarily a high-scoring affair as a result, and it seems like Brendan's with me. But how about you, John? Uh, I'm going over. I just, as much as there are a lot of question marks offensively, I think these are still offensively-minded teams. Uh, even for the Rams having... You know, the Aaron Donalds and the Jalen Ramseys and the Vaughn Millers of the world, I don't think their defense is that good, and I think we saw that last week against the 49ers in allowing that 49er team to come back and win that game. Uh, Likewise, I have a lot of questions about the Cardinals' secondary outside of Buda Baker, and I think the Rams are going to want to, you know, try to get some big plays. We've seen Matthew Stafford come up with a, a lot of interceptions thrown going for big plays, but I think against the Cardinals, there are going to be big plays there to be had. And so I'm going over here. I I think this is a fairly offensive affair. I think the only way that this doesn't go over is if the Cardinals are able to get some pressure on Matthew Stafford, JJ Watt expected to be back in the mix for the first time since very early on in the season when he got injured, he and Chandler Jones could certainly present problems for Matthew Stafford. And I, that's really the only way I expect this to be an under here um, is if they put a lot of pressure on Stafford and company and force some turnovers and then and limit the amount of points that the Rams get on the board. But because I have the Rams winning, I also expect this to be an over. I like it. I like it. I think that wraps up all our games this week, John. I'm pretty excited about everything we've talked about and how these games are going to play out starting today um, for those listening. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy wild card weekend, no doubt about it. And the only way that we know how to cap off a crazy episode going into crazy wild card weekend is with one more spin of the wheel. Uh, well, one more for this week at least. <laughs> and we did not end up getting uh, a win in week 18. So we do come into the playoffs with very decidedly negative units, but maybe we'll turn that around and maybe uh, the playoffs are a wonderful and wild time where anything can happen, Eric. And maybe that includes some uh, wonderful and wild will parlays actually hitting uh, shout out. Producer Brendan does go first this week. And so he had his pick of any prop, any player prop or team prop or spread or whatever he wanted. His pre-spin did land on Eagles at Bucks. And he is going with the over in that one, which I believe he was in the minority there when we uh, were breaking down that game. No, you and him were both on the over. And so I'm in the minority there. And so, 
<laughs> so you're very comfortable with this pick, Eric. Uh, and that being said, you go second. So why don't you go ahead and see what is uh, teaming up for the second leg? All of the right, spinning our wheel. Not too many games to pick on this week, so uh, we'll see what I land in here. I'm getting the Raiders at Bengals team or a game, which is the game I'm most excited about, honestly. So uh, I might be looking for something spicy this game. I, I will say that we are recording later in this week, so we do have more options available to us in, in the prop side. Uh, so I'm looking through a lot of plus odds here uh, that I like. And I think one intriguing one here is Jamar Chase with 150 plus receiving yards and one touchdown scored, uh, which he's only done three times this season. Or he's only, sorry, he's only had 150 plus receiving yards three times this season. He has scored one touchdown in each of those games, though, um, at plus 1,400. And I think that's something fun for us to root for and get back in the uh, plus units here um, for us if we hit this parlay. Yeah. Uh, that would be the, like the parlay to end all parlays. Uh, if we actually hit that plus 1400, I don't know that we've had many parlays that combined have gone over plus 1400s, maybe one or two, but let me give this a spin here. Uh, there's only four games left for me to pick from, so <laughs> not a whole lot of spinning to do, but let me give it a quick spin and all right and it's landed on the game honestly i am most excited about and that is 49ers at cowboys so funny how that worked out the wheel gave us the the, the two games that we are both most excited to see play out this weekend now we talked about this a little bit uh before recording about how these while we didn't know that which game we were going to get we knew that these big massive player prop parlays we're out there and we're like, you know what? We should, if we really want to, we should both go for one of these. I'm not going to. I, I love that Eric did. I just didn't see one that I loved as much as Eric loved the Jamar Chase pick. Uh, now, I do see as I'm scrolling through all of these a team prop that I like. And that is 49ers at Cowboys. Each team scores one or more touchdowns in each half at plus 105. And so let me just throw together our total here, Eric, and see what we're at. Oh, my goodness. Oof. Do you want to know the odds, Eric? Yeah, Are you ready? yeah I'm excited. Plus 5,770 oh. odds. All right, I'm feeling it. If you aren't feeling it, uh, listeners, then I don't know what you're here for because this, this is why we play yeah, the game. Uh, <laughs> This is this is why yeah, you know her. Uh, what was it Denny Green once said? You play to win the game. We play the wheel parlay to win massive odds, none more so massive than this. And hopefully, if we come good, Eric, we're just gonna have to do something crazy on the next episode. But you'll have to wait and see what happens on the next episode because we have reached the end of this one. Uh, and so thank you as always, Eric, for coming along for the ride with me and and as always I, I say this a lot at the end of the episode but i am definitely more excited for some football uh having you know gone over everything with you than i was coming into recording here and i was pretty freaking excited even coming into the recording yeah i mean thanks for leading the charge again john it's always a pleasure discussing these games with you uh every single week i'm looking forward to what we have in store for the, us this week and then uh the upcoming matchups that we're going to have heading into the super bowl uh, I appreciate the listeners always tuning in and, and giving us their support. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, coming back again next week. Yeah, so make sure you check back next week for the Divisional Round Playoff episode. And until then, enjoy Wild Card Weekend, everyone.